Do you ever stop and think, really think, about your motivations for being in church? To take a moment to wonder about what brings you to this place, this day? Or perhaps to think about what it is that you believe you need from this space? Some may answer this question with a simple, I come to church because that's just what you do, or I'm here to worship. Others may answer that they come here seeking purpose, joy, peace, or even love. Considering the political and social divisions that seem to rule our imaginations, many have even begun to say that they come to church to escape, even if only for a little while, from the harshness of our world. What is unlikely to be in the collective wish list of church experiences is exploring grief or hard truth, being challenged or proclaiming with precision where we see God calling us in our world today. We all have reasons for coming. And just like the crowd that gathered around Jesus today, all too often our focus rests where we seem to derive some good for ourselves and others that we deem to be like us. We want to make meaning in our life. But to be honest, we want to discover that meaning so long as nothing gets too complicated. We want meaning, but we also want to find that sweet spot while we search. We all know the one. The one where we say a little something, and somehow, as if by magic, say little enough so that no one is challenged or left feeling uncomfortable, and we tell ourselves that we do this in the name of maintaining relationships. But deep down, we know that this is impossible. We meet Jesus in our gospel today, filled with the Spirit, the text tells us. I like to imagine that he's catching his proverbial wind. His ministry is taking hold, and the people around about him throughout the surrounding countries have heard about him. He is making progress for our cause. And then he goes home. There, Jesus proclaims good news release, freedom, opened eyes, and an end to oppression, Jesus proclaims that this is what the Lord's favor looks like, a kingdom where all are restored. Jesus speaks of a world where all are free, and the crowd seems to think that's a pretty good idea. That's what we want from church too, isn't it? So, Cue the mission accomplished banner. All can be free here. After all, freedom is something that we all cherish. It's a right. Right? But that is precisely where things begin to be a little less clear. Perhaps that is why I have encountered so much struggle for myself as I prepared for today. I think that I struggled because I recognize within myself the tendency to simplify concepts like freedom. 
often search for a specific date or maybe a specific time when something challenging was addressed. And once I can locate that singular moment, it is then altogether too easy for me to mentally mark that challenge as resolved and then to move forward, to celebrate, and then to disentangle myself from any further uncomfortable truths. If I were honest with you, I would have to admit that this has become a bit of second nature to me. So much so that when questions of our shared history inevitably reveal themselves again, I am all too equipped to domesticate rather than sitting with them by voicing concerns. Concerns as to whether we're prepared to revisit them in this moment. Or if our language might be too forward, or is an image too controversial, or how do I prepare for a conversation with those in my congregation that might be offended, or better yet, how do I plan to talk to the ones who might be ecstatic in the midst of offense? In our current environment, any one of these questions could feel overwhelming in our search for freedom. And the truth is that we all too often avoid them at all costs. So then how do we know when we are working with Jesus for real freedom, the kind of freedom that he points us to today? I believe that the only pathway to that kind of peace is not through politeness, but through hard conversations. This is why I take challenge with our selected reading for today. Following Jesus' proclamation, our gospel concludes very neatly with, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But that's just not the way that story ends. Not even a little bit. It's not the end of a conversation. It leaves out the conversation, the exchange between Jesus and his former neighbors. If you read on from where our gospel ends in this liturgy, and I ask you to do that, what you will find is that even Jesus had a bit of trouble meeting the expectations of his followers on this day. In fact, those that could hear were not satisfied, not even a little bit. They wanted something more from Jesus. They wanted a little bit of that hope and healing that they had heard spreading through the regions. But rather than acquiescing to the demands of these people, Jesus entered into a hard dialogue. He speaks the truth about the expectations that they have and the realities of the moment. He locates the fulfillment of God's word among those who were poor, are otherwise held captive by systems of oppression, and demands that our attention remain there. By taking this stand, he challenged the fragile illusion of stability that is easily fostered within any community of faith. And challenging that is dangerous. It certainly wasn't what these good worshipers wanted to hear. They were so enraged, in fact, that they ran Jesus out of town, even wanting to throw him from a cliff. That's the whole story. 
That's the difficult, uncomfortable truth. And despite the discomfort of this gospel, I find great hope here for us in Jesus' invitation to remember our past and to seek justice rather than comfort. And perhaps today, as we celebrate Juneteenth, this act of remembering can be our pathway to newness of life as well. You may not know much about Juneteenth, but I have always been struck by the events of June 19, 1865. On this day, General Gordon Granger entered, the, entered Galveston, Texas with some 2,000 troops. By the time he entered the city, the Civil War was over. There was no question about that. The Emancipation Proclamation had been in effect for two and a half years. And despite all that, General Granger found over 250,000 black women and men still toiling beneath the whips of their enslavers, working in fields of newly constructed, newly constructed plantations. A system of exploitation and evil that had been moved, not defeated, and thriving for another two and a half years. In the face of that continued evil, he proclaimed what is known as General Order 3, saying, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freemen are advised to remain in their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts, and they will not be supported in idleness, either there or elsewhere. This proclamation was no doubt progressive. It went further than the Emancipation Proclamation, and even further than the 13th Amendment that would follow it. It acknowledged the horrors of reality and pointed toward the hope for a society that many wished for, absolute equality. Even so, how exactly were these formerly enslaved people meant to live into this absolute equality that the general spoke of? How were they meant to secure these promised wages from their former enslavers? How were they meant to protect the homes that they were recently forced to live in? And when they were treated unjustly, where were they meant to stand and demand justice, if not at the gates of the very people who told them that their freedom would be secured? Clearly, there was more work to do. Perhaps especially now with this in mind, we can set aside our fears today and enter into those harder conversations. Perhaps now we can really begin to take in the truth of what Dr. King said, that there is an interrelatedness of all communities and that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, 
Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I believe that this is precisely why we should be diligent students of our history. Many thought that actions like General Order 3 would provide reconciliation and justice which had long been sought, and generations have continued to perpetuate that myth. But we know that when we are honest with ourselves, Juneteenth was not a static moment in time. It was not a celebration of victory, but rather a step toward justice. To think otherwise is all that is needed for evil to flourish. And the fruits of that flourishing are all around us. Systematic oppression that stemmed from our sin of slavery is still among us even today. Leaving our siblings to fend for themselves on June 19, 1865 sparked the flame of discrimination in this country. Unchecked, it led to unfair labor practices for tenant farmers that still exist to this day. It opened a door to discrimination and segregation for all people of color and indeed any other orientation. These actions became the foundation for the Jim Crow laws, a legalized system of oppression so efficient that it captured the attention of Nazi Germany. And even when Jim Crow was ultimately struck down, the damage had already been done through redlining, voter suppression, wage discrepancies, and economic policies that crippled generations of people, locking them into cycles of poverty and feeding the industrialized prison system. But we can end this cycle. We can end this cycle through prayer, conversation, and action. These painful truths do not have to be the end of our story. Jesus reminded all present then and us today that our scripture was not written for our individual benefit. No, our scripture was written by the oppressed for the oppressed, and this is where God calls us even now. For real liberation to occur, we have to be able to talk about where it hurts. We have to make room for more conversation and be willing to be discomforted together because our history to this moment is reminding us that our work is not done. I believe that we have always known that we are called to more than thoughts and prayers because bringing good news, releasing captives, bringing sight to those who are blind and letting the oppressed go free has never been accomplished once and for all. It is a continual struggle for God's justice that rolls down like water. So let us bring our whole selves to this call. Let us be courageous for the cause of Christ. Let us not delay. And may the waters of our baptism trouble our souls until we work to build a world where all are truly free.